den Richtlinien so vorgenommen worden sind, wie wir das für richtig halten. Das heißt... I take the Wayfarers off and hand them to him. Maybe I really did kill a Sully. Though I'm positive that any cab drivers I've killed lately were not American. I probably did. There probably is a wanted poster of me at... Where the taxi... The, the place where all the taxis congregate. What's it called? The driver tries the sunglasses on, looks at himself in the rearview mirror, and then takes them off. He folds the glasses and puts them in his jacket pocket. You're a dead man, I smile grimly at him. And you're a yuppie scumbag, he says. You're a dead man, Abdullah. I repeat, no joke. Count on it. Yeah, and you're a yuppie scumbag, which is worse. He starts the cab up and pulls away from me. While walking back to the highway, I stop, choke back a sob, my throat tightens. I just want to... Facing the skyline through all the baby talk, I murmur, keep the game going. As I stand, frozen in position... An old woman emerges behind a three-penny opera poster at a deserted bus stop, and she's homeless and begging, hobbling over, her face covered with sores that look like bugs, holding out a shaking red hand. Oh, will you please go away, I sigh. She tells me to get a haircut. Oh, hi there. You caught me reading a hateful story. How bigoted of you. Actually, that was a section from American Psycho by Brett Easton Ellis, a book that has been very controversial since before its publication being rejected by publishers all over the world, and demonized by many who have never even read it, and are therefore unable to see it as the black comedy and poignant satire that it is. Here at Screaming Eye Press, we are committed to freedom of expression in all its forms. This is why we have created Horrible Little Stories. Stories They Don't Want You to Read. A collection of horror and dark fantasy stories by Joe Lansdale, Gary Reiser, Elizabeth Massey, Jack Dan, Richard Christian Matheson, G. Wayne Miller, Ray Garten, A.J. Lance, and more. All proceeds will be donated to the anti-censorship organization, the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression, or The Fire, found at thefire.org. What is freedom of expression? Without the freedom to offend, it ceases to exist. Salman Rushdie. And if we've offended you with this commercial, then just turn it off for fuck's sake. Dear Mr. McGreely, by Mark Slade. Monday, April the 3rd. Dear Mr. McGreely, 
You've been watched, failed to comply, and suffer the consequences. I know what you and Emma Costner are up to in your office late at night. I'm sure Mrs. McGreely would not be pleased to know such details. If you do not stop this awful act against God and his children, I will be forced to do something about it. Beware of the black cloak wielding a scythe. McGreely blinked. He tossed the neatly typed piece of paper on his desk and leaned back. No one knows any of this. What act against God am I committing? He swirled his big black leather chair towards the window. The blinds were up and he could see the football field from his office. He watched Miss Carter lead her gym class in exercises. Jumping jacks. He smiled. He always enjoyed watching Miss Carter in her tight gym shirt and very short shorts. Long-legged and beautiful straw hair in a long ponytail. It's hard being principal of a high school. The blinds came down, and Emma stood in front of him, arms folded, scowling. How how long have you been standing there? (laughs) Long enough to prevent the head of the school board from seeing what you're up to. We'll discuss this later. Miss Collins is here to see you, Mr. McGreely. About what? The janitor situation. As in? You have no janitors to clean the school? Ah, that situation. Wednesday, April the 11th. Dear Mr. McGreevy, you have been watched. Fail to comply and suffer the consequences. I have warned you about your affair with that salacious slut. You disgusting man. Filling her with your demonic seed. Such an awful crime against God and his children. If you do not end your sexual encounters with Emma Costner, I will be forced to stop it myself. Beware of the black cloak wielding a scythe. Florence was in her study when McGreely came home. She was looking over photos of property her company had offered up for sale to the rich and powerful Rochester family. Rochester's daughter was remarrying, and as a present, he wished to gift her another home. Her third over five years. Her eyes rose from the photos when she heard the soft patter of his loafers in the hallway. Lester? Yes, Florence? Come in here, please. Slowly, McGreely went to his wife's study, shoulders slumped, gazing at his feet, guilty of whatever she thought he was guilty of. Where have you been? Just working late. That That's all. At the school? Yes, dear. Hmm. I have, dear. I swear. I'm not concerned where you've been, exactly, or who you have been with. Really? The other matter I wish to discuss with you. He stood and said defiantly, No, Florence, we will not discuss it. McGreely walked out of the room. 
Tuesday, April the 24th. Dear Mr. McGreevy, you have been watched, failed to comply, and suffer the consequences. You choose to ignore my warnings of your outlandish behavior with Emma Costner, so I am going to have to take drastic measures. Blood will rain down upon you. Heads will roll. The stench of death will fill your senses. I see you. I see everything you do. I hear your thoughts. I hear your voices entangled in long sighs. You and that dirty slut will meet a horrible end. I guarantee a bloodbath. Beware of the black cloak wielding a scythe. Emma stormed into McGreely's office. He quickly put away the pornographic photos of Emma displayed on a bed of red sheets. Her, bound and gagged, McGreely, standing over her, holding a whip. He shoved the glossy photos into a drawer of his desk next to the 38. Emma leaned against the door. Her face was drained of her natural happiness. There are two police officers here to see you. What do they want? I don't know what they want. They just said they want to speak to you. He knew what they wanted. Questions to be answered. Questions about school funds. Money he'd already wired to a bank in the Cayman Islands. Money missing from a fundraiser to keep certain books out of his school library. Money to purchase books he deemed morally proficient to shape his students' minds and souls. He opened the desk drawer and placed a hand on the butt of his 38. He smiled faintly. Well, you better show them in, Miss Costner. She ushered in two men in suits. They smiled, shook McGreely's hand, and introduced themselves as detectives with the county police. They sensed McGreely's nervousness. They exchanged uneasy glances. The smiles vanished. McGreely asked them to sit, and they did so, straightening their clothes. McGreely took hold of his 38, still concealing the gun and his hand by keeping them inside the drawer. He fingered the trigger. Right, um... Mr. McGreely, uh, we have uh, been examining some of the suspicious characters in the neighborhood. You, uh, you see, we've uh, gotten word that certain things have come to light. Don't try to deny it! Certain characters of a suspicious nature have been spotted doing suspicious things, and we've seen you and uh, this young lady uh, entering and exiting the building, and we thought that maybe you might know something about it. You might as well come clean. You say, um, we, uh, we've determined that lately there has been some to do. We see everything. Now we know that you know something. You can't get past the law. And when people are masters of schools, they, they know what goes on in their school. Or at least that's what they should be doing, right? There's dirty deeds afoot, and we won't have any of that in our town. The, uh, long and the, uh, short of it, uh, is that... There was an attempted break-in at the school last night. <sighs> Friday, May the 3rd. Dear Mr. McGreevy, you have been watched. Fail to comply and suffer the consequences. You and Emma Costner 
still carry on with the abominations and disgusting proclivities that salt the eyes of God. The time has come. No more warnings. The streets will be stained with the blood of you and your slut. The die has been cast, and the snake eyes of death are upon you. Heads will roll. Beware of the black cloak wielding a scythe. <laughs> oh, these letters are terrible, Esther. Emma threw the papers on the floorboard of Megrilli's Volkswagen. She placed her breasts back into her brassiere and started to button her blouse. Megrilli pushed her hand away and rolled a palm over each nipple several times. Mmm, oh, I like that. The windows were steamed up and only a glint of moonlight peered through a small crack in the windshield. They were parked at the playground behind North Fairline High, just to the right of the football field. A cluster of elm trees concealed the car, therefore no eyes to witness their lovemaking. There are more? I, I chose these because they... they frightened me. Oh my god, are these letters real, Lester? Of course they are, Emma. I wouldn't show them to you if I thought they were fake. I know, darling. She straightened her skirt and buttoned up her blouse. She was not a bad-looking woman by any means, though her age had caught up with her. She still had a shape that got noticed by construction workers, and even the male woman, both of whom had no choice but to cast wolf whistles and holler inappropriate come-ons to Emma. But maybe someone at the school has a sick sense of humour? This is not a prank! McGreely could feel himself warming up. Sweat formed under his collar, and a river ran down his thick, fat neck. Anger was causing his voice to rise and become shrill. Oh, Lester... I didn't mean to suggest that it was. I, I'm sorry. I, I haven't had a wink of sleep since this whole debacle started. When did you start receiving these letters? Last month. It's been horrible. Oh, you poor dear. Do you have any idea who's threatening us? Plenty. You don't think it's Florence, do you? Don't be ridiculous. Florence is not that kind of person. Uh, of course not. I, I'm sure she isn't. But one wonders. No, one does not wonder, Emma. They gather cold hard facts. That's what one does. My neighbor. Mr. Guernsey. Mm, one morning he was in his yard checking the length of his lawn when you left. I mean, who checks the length of grass? When was this? I believe it was several months ago. Oh. <clears throat> No more room than an ass ass. Uh, when were you going to tell me this, Emma? I I'm sorry, Lester. I, I didn't think of it till now. <laughs> Emma saw a figure in a black cloak standing in front of the Volkswagen. The scythe raised high in the air, poised to strike again. McGreely opened his door and ran like a madman, waving his arms, screaming. They're after me! They're after me! The cloaked figure drove the scythe into the windshield again. Glass shattered. The shards sprinkled the inside of the car and littered Emma's body. Thankfully, she had the sense to turn her head so the shards wouldn't be embedded in her face and eyes. 
The cloaked figure noticed McGreely running away and decided it would chase him, leaving Emma by herself to confront a magnitude of feelings she was not equipped to handle. In shock, she opened the car door and rolled out onto the cold, damp grass. Weeping, she crawled on her hands and knees through the empty streets until an officer pulled up beside her to ask if she was all right. Later, Emma babbled something to the officer in one runoff sentence. In his infinite wisdom, he decided to call an ambulance to take her to the hospital, check her over, but also to keep her for several days in the psych ward. McGreely made it home on foot. Luckily, it wasn't far. He discovered Florence was in bed waiting for him. Well? It went very well. Oh. Was she frightened? (laughs) Most assuredly. (laughs) Florence threw her arms around McGreely, her naked body crushing his dirty, sweaty, clothed body. They embraced, kissing sloppily. Oh. Florence, fumbling for McGreely's zipper, said, Tell me every nasty detail. Too busy in the throes of wild animalistic sex, they didn't notice the black-cloaked figure at their bedside, wielding a scythe. Heads will roll. Strange Forebodings, Episode 2, Dear Mr. McGreely, written by Mark Slade, starring Neil Shearer as McGreely, Luella Richardson as Emma, Chrissy Pashley as Florence and the narrator, Martin Clothier as Ominous Voice, Wesley Critchfield as The Detectives, produced by Mark Slade, Chauncey Horworth, Lothar Tuppen and Wesley Critchfield. Direction and sound design by Wesley Critchfield. I am your host, Chrissy Pashley. Strange Forebodings. Hey, Billy, why do you look so down? Aw, Dad, I got a computer, a PlayStation, and a barn full of iguanas, and I'm still bored. Gee, Billy, when I was your age, I would read lots of stories in pulp magazines. Oh, with stories of weird adventure and fantasy, horror, satire, and lots of action. Wow, that sounds great, Dad. Yeah, I sure wish there was something like that right now. (laughs) There is, Daddy-O. Who are you? I'm Dr. Mary Von Rocksprocket, host of the Twisted Pulp Radio Hour. And now there's... Twisted Pulp Magazine! <laughs> What's that, Doctor? Why, it is a return to greatness! Available on all your digital devices! That is what it is! Look! Whoa! Dad, this looks awesome! Exciting and, dare I say it, very unwholesome! You definitely have that right, my good man! <laughs> Thanks, Dr. Mary! My pleasure, Billy! And just between you and me, I am not sure that this man is really your father. Bye!
just read your Twisted Pulp magazine, Billy. Twisted Pulp magazine! Available in dark alleyways behind meth labs everywhere! Or at Amazon.com or ScreamingIPress.com! That is S-C-R-E-A-M-I-N-G-E-Y-E-P-R-E-S-S dot com! <laughs>